Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have become friends. Polite greetings over the fence turned into barbecues and standing alongside one another in the cold in a playground, pushing our children on swings. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is this far removed from my own, I am desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In The Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of operating theatres. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities, oh no. I want you to be involved with these conversations too. So whether you live next door to a doctor, are a doctor yourself, or you want to use my access to a doctor to your own advantage, send your questions, thoughts and stories to doctor at nextdoorpod.com right now. Doctor, come on in. Hey, Neil. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I've warmed up from outside in that, <laughs> that time on the swings with my son, certainly. Right, listen, let's start the pod this week shall we um by giving everybody an update because we have received literally two correspondents about this um about the stuff that people can find for free in the local neighborhood because when i first moved to this part of town you were already very familiar with it i thought that people were effectively getting away with fly tipping by putting a sign that says please take therefore turning a criminal act into a thinly veiled act of generosity. Um, now, obviously, there is too much waste in this world. I'm a big believer in that. I think the evidence is pretty clear. And obviously, some of these things that are left out are useful. But then other people have kind of joined this party with what can only be described as crap. Um, so what we decided to do <laughs> is photograph some of these and create a rogues gallery of stuff you can have for free. Uh, would you like to start us off, Neil? What have you all bringing to the table this week? So, Dave, this week I was, uh, you know, walking <laughs> to the park as you do in the cold, and I stumbled across some beautiful pairs of shoes. 
Okay. So if you see this picture right here. What you got, let me see. Oh. I'm sure it's available on the, on the pod if you look online. You see these beautiful pair of black shoes. I don't know what I would do with them. Maybe play some football well, they, with they them. They look pretty warm. And, and the pink ones look pretty um, warm, but... Um, Pink I don't cowboy know. boots. Exactly. It's the contrast between the two different styles there. Yeah. You've got like a size 12 men's 1980s Gola football boot and uh, probably a toddler size pair of pink cowboy boots with a fake fur lining. Exactly, which look remarkably warm. But what really caught my eye, this being January and all, is my, uh, my resolution to get into making jam. Okay. And so if you see at the bottom here <laughs> of this picture, not only have they kindly donated some beautiful pairs of shoes... But we've also got a series of empty, used glass bottles of some sort. Just, and left in a carrier bag just yeah. amongst the leaves yes. there. Yeah, actually I tripped up on one. Okay. <laughs> Please take. Yes. Please have these if you want. They're on us. Yeah. Um, I have got one of those um, plastic containers that supermarkets deliver your shopping in nowadays. And it's full of shoes. Oh. Unfortunately, uh, there's only one actual pair of shoes and all of the others are individuals. <laughs> so um, there you go. That's what's... Up for grabs in the neighbourhood this week. Shoes are clearly the theme this January. Maybe <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah. inspire people to do more jogging. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, also, uh, don't worry, I know what you're thinking. Dave, please, at some point, will you get some podcast merch? Can we be given the opportunity to win some of the Doctor's Jam? I'm going to be talking to the producers about that. That could be coming up later on. We've got a big burning topic a little later in the podcast, as always. But right now, uh, what I want to know is... My father has his hands clamped over my ears. I am being forced to stand as close to the kitchen sink as I possibly can, and I am downing a pint glass of water as quickly as possible because he tells me and has told me since I was about seven, and I'm still letting him do it to me now, <laughs> that this will cure my hiccups. So firstly... Why do we hiccup, Doctor? Great question, Dave. Great question. I'm not sure anyone really understands hiccups. Fundamentally, what you have is your lungs. And underneath your lungs, at the bottom of your ribs, you have this big belt of muscle that's called your diaphragm. And so your diaphragm acts like a sort of bellows. It pulls the whole thing down. And because your chest is a sort of closed cavity, by pulling down... That allows your lungs to expand and air fills. So that's part of your breathing. Breathing occurs by two or three things. Some muscles in your chest and your ribs work like a bucket handle. And they sort of squeeze and open your chest out and your diaphragm expands down. You're probably very, you know, being a presenter and with a strong vocal cords and voice and stuff, have a very strong well, diaphragmatic tone. <laughs> Maybe that's why you develop so many hiccups. But that's involuntary contraction of the diaphragm. So it starts involuntary contracting. It could be for a number of reasons, sometimes after a large meal or alcohol, carbonated oh, yeah. beverages, sometimes when you're too excited. Mm. Um, but normally we don't really know why. And, in, and most often I find it's when we're tired or a little bit dehydrated. You know, it's interesting because I'm always excited when I get a chance to see my dad. We always eat big meals together and we always drink alcohol. So yeah. that's probably why. So here's the hiccup... Um, 
monster really isn't yeah he? he's, okay he's he's, my dad toys. the hiccup he's doing, monster he's doing it on purpose because he wants to do that thing where he leans yeah i mean I, I think he sees it as bonding really yes. well, did you think it's doing any good i don't know why he's got his hands over my ears i don't think the air escapes through your ear canal that, does it i certainly don't think the hand over the ears um <laughs> you know, it's only until i say it out loud for the first time to you a medical professional that i realize how ridiculous this is and he's been doing this to me for like 30 years <laughs> <laughs> they certainly say um uh, drinking some water can help. Okay. So they certainly say drink. So he's clearly not completely made it up in that he's sort of, <laughs> you know, thought a bit and half yeah. done something. Yeah. I don't think holding the ears does anything. He's a quack, isn't he? He's like a quack roaming the Wild West <laughs> yes, exactly. with his little potions exactly. for cure-alls. Yeah. And certainly they say holding your breath. So taking a deep breath, holding your breath as long as you can, because then you've expanded your diaphragm. You keep it up and straight and open and flat, and then you hope that whatever's making it twitch will just... Stop. Yeah, okay. Uh, so that's one tradition I won't be uh, handing down from family member to family member as the years trundle by. Lucky lucky your daughter. Yeah. Um, so, Neil, it is now time for my medical training. I went from hero to zero. Um, or actually, I went from hero to half a point because you were feeling generous. I got three out of three. And then last week, I got half a point. And I was really embarrassed by my showing, to be honest. I don't think I gave myself enough time to think them through. And this time, I really do have my game face on. In episode three of the podcast, we talked about being in the zone. I confessed maybe I don't get myself in the zone as much as I should. And that changes now, my friend, because I'm determined to become a doctor. I want you to print me out a certificate at the end of this, this run of the podcast. So we know that people love playing along with this where they are. Now, we've got three questions for me. Give me the first. So, David, I think you're being too harsh on yourself. You did so well, you know, two weeks ago. Last week was a very tough week. And one of the key skills about being a doctor, which we're trying to teach you, is that you need to learn to take the knocks and to sometimes have bad days at the office or bad exams. Yeah. But the key is to always keep coming back. Okay. So we're going to go through a series of questions. And our first question is an A, B or C question for you. So you've nice. got a best of three very medical school-like, and it's the term aerophagia. Aerophagia, what does that re refer to? Is it the racing heart rate caused by aerobic activities, mm. swallowing too much air, or a fear of flying? Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. What's the next question? So our next question, David, again, we're going with a similar theme today. Uh, it's A, B, and C, but this time you've got to rank them. So I'm going to tell you a list of bones, and you need to rank them in size order from small to large. Small to large? Yeah. Okay. And you need to rank these three bones. So bone A, clavicle. Bone B is femur. And bone C is patella. So clavicle, femur, patella. Please rank them from small to large. Okay, okay, okay. And the third question? And our third question, I can already see that your wife is in the corner knitting your medical school gown and hat because <laughs> you're going to fly through this. Your third question is uh, Petrificus totalis. Is it a made-up term or a real medical term? Petrificus totalis. Okay, so they are the three questions for my medical training this week. We will all discover the answers collectively next. But first, 
The producers of this don't just make Doctor Next Door. No, they also make this podcast too. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and the bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. My podcast is called Yours Sincerely. And in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. For each guest, they'll reveal why they mean so much to them and how they would sign each letter off. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Racing heart rate caused by aerobic activities, B, swallowing too much air, and C, a fear of flying. Well, I discounted C straight away. B would be too coincidental for it to be the intake of air because we've just talked about hiccups and you don't know what I'm going to ask you at the beginning of the podcast. So I'm going to go for A. Is it A? Unfortunately not. It is B, indeed. Oh, wow. What are the chances of that? By, by chance. I happened okay. to come up with a question. It's psychic. Okay, right. It's clearly on, on, on the neighbourhood mind. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So that's a zero. Okay, so we're going to go to our next question. So our next question was a list. There were a list of bones, and you had to rank them from small to large. Mm-hmm. So bone A was clavicle, mm-hmm. bone B was femur, and bone C was patella, and you had to rank them from small to large. So what have you got? I've got small to large. Mm. I've got CAB. Oh, David, amazing. Yes. You should definitely be an orthopaedic surgeon. I think we're starting to realise your specialty oh, now through medical school. Oh, at last, a point on the board. 
Which bones are they, Neil? So great question. The clavicle, which was A, is your collarbone. The femur is your big thigh bone. Yeah. And the patella is the kneecap. Ah, okay. Yeah. I knew the femur was the largest one. The other two was just a 50-50 guess. So it is like being at medical school. Yes, it's just exactly. And I like, I like your use of logic. That just reminds me, takes me back to medical school exams. I've excluded one. That gives me uh, one, yeah. in, uh, one in three. And I know the pass mark is X, Y, Z. So I need to exclude it down to 50-50. Yeah. And then the remaining questions, you know, I'll have a third or... Or sixty percent, I'll definitely know. So that's how you get through. Okay, that's a tip for the top there. Um, so Tactics. I'd like to get another point on the board, really. Okay. So let's go to the third one now. So our last one was kind of true or false. Is it made up or is it a real medical term? And the term I said to you was petrificus totalis. Hundred percent from Harry Potter. David, you're a star. Is Amazing. It, how did it, you know? I didn't Potter. know that. Yeah, it is. It's the paralysis spell from Harry Potter, a well-known magical book about a boy named Harry. Well, as you know, my, my wife, Sarah Jane, is a huge Harry Potter fan, so ah, that's, that's kind that of why? synced in somewhere. Does she make you go on all the Harry Potter oh, I've tours? Been on, I've done all the Harry Potter stuff. Have you been on the train in Scotland? We've done, we've done that. We've done the stuff stateside as well. And okay. With, with Evie getting older, and I'm going to do it no, all, again, all again in just a few years' time. And every time you time. go to King's Cross, you have to go to the platform. <laughs> Exactly, well. yeah. Um, so Fantastic. two out of three for me on the medical Very good. training. He's back. I am He's so pleased rolling. about that. Yeah. I hope you did well where you are too. Now, Neil, for the big question this week, I want to keep it on the theme of kids, actually. You're a, a parent to two children. You've got a little boy and a little girl. And I've got a daughter. We have a daughter, Evie. And being a parent presents numerous challenges and anxieties um, from what food to give them, how much exercise they should get. Screen time is a big one for people who've got slightly older children, social media and all the troubles that surround that and how to kind of police or parent that properly is another concern. So the big question is, doctor, how do we raise healthy kids? And I understand that that's probably the biggest question I've asked you so far. It's huge. <laughs> that's huge and, and quite philosophical, David. I would say one of the first, th one of the things I've realised from having two kids is that there's this balance between nurture and nature. And uh, when we had our first child, we were thinking, you know, look at us, we're superstars. This child sleeps forever, and all the other kids in our friendship group or NCT, etc., they don't sleep, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then baby two came along and was completely the opposite in many ways. Completely fantastic, beautiful baby, but completely different. So that's the first thing to realize is that a lot of parents impart a lot of guilt and a lot of worry and a lot of feelings that it's me, it's my responsibility, I've got to do these things. But actually a lot of things are just inbuilt in children when they're born. And I remember speaking to one of my sort of very senior colleagues and I remember telling him this story, you know, I've got this new baby. It's completely different to the last one. I don't know what to do. And he said, you know what, Neil, here's my top advice. It's never going to change. That baby's going to be like that when she's 18. And that's just how she's born, right? That's not entirely true. There's a degree of nurture to it. But I think what we're trying to say is you've got to go with the flow. You've got to go with what you feel, what you listen to, what you feel is right from a sort of bonding perspective. Um, when I had my first child, it was a very, I don't know about you, David, but I've had this sort of very deep connection suddenly to like the world. It was a really unusual experience. And it was one of the few moments where I remember we are very disorganized parents. 
So the birth of my first child is rather hilarious. So me being a doctor, it's the first baby and most first babies go over term. My wife stops working and she stopped working and uh, it was her first day off after work. She'd stopped about one week before the due date. And so I was going to a leaving do with a good colleague of mine. So I was in the pub, I'd organised the leaving do, having a few drinks. And she texts me and says, I've got some pains. I said, oh, it's Braxton Hicks, it's fine. Nothing wrong with you. You'll be absolutely fine. The baby's not coming for at least another two weeks. Plus, we're having the whole of the living room redone, like sanding and dust and things everywhere. And we have yet to buy most of the stuff of the house. No blanket, no cot, no nothing yet. Because I was expecting the baby to come two weeks late. Because, you know, with your medical knowledge, you think most babies run over term. Yeah. So then she texts again. Exactly. (laughs) I've got a very understanding (laughs) wife, right? 100%. And I've witnessed that firsthand on several occasions. I suppose she was thinking, well, I have married a doctor, so how wrong can he be? Exactly. (laughs) So now I'm thinking, you know, the due date's going to be at least another two weeks. It's going to be mid-November. It's the start of November. No way. And then uh, I get another text about two hours later. I'm you know, a couple of more pints in. It's just it's really starting to hurt, and they're quite frequent. And I said, no, no, this is called Braxton Hicks. It's fine, it's fine. I'm having a few more pints with my colleague, and I'll be back. I went to the bar and said, three, three more pints, you know, one for me, one for him, etc. I'm half, halfway through this pint, <laughs> and insane, she texts, and then she says, I think I'm having labour. And then at that point, the, the thought came upon me, and I'm surrounded by other doctors in the pub we're having a leaving deal with. Yeah. So, You're with the and, right crowd. And, not, many, and, and not many parents-to-be one, are fortunate to be surrounded by medical professionals. Absolutely, absolutely. And then so they said to me, <laughs> OK, yeah, maybe she is actually in labour. Yeah. And we were all like... And this was just a sort of long-running joke, you know, the Braxton Hicks thing has been going in the pub for, uh, you know, four hours while we were there. So then I decide, right, I better run. Like, my wife's in labour and the contractions are less than every five minutes. And, and so I ran, like, as hard as I could. I then got the tube, got the bus, I'm panicking. By this point, she's, you know, the texts are getting very fruity, let's say. Rather serious after my neglect yeah, she, of she's, the situation. She's in labour, Neil. I exactly. mean, again, you're the medical professional on this podcast. I'm the yeah. radio DJ. Yes, exactly. I arrive home and think, oh, no, we haven't packed the bag. She's like, get anything, get anything. So I run through the cupboard. I open this sort of duffel bag, throw a load of things. I call an Uber because we're going straight to, you know, to deliver this baby. I decided she's definitely in labour. I was wrong. Yeah. Waters had gone a long time ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should have listened. I was slightly drunk as well. I needed to pee a lot. Um, oh, God. I didn't want to sort of expose that, so I was chewing some gum and I made sure I peed before I entered the house. But not in your garden, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not in your garden. You got it. Okay. Anyway, so anyway, the, the Uber's got 20 minutes. So I, I, I run to co-op. You know, you need all those sweets and sandwiches and things. We hadn't got that yet, you know, for supplies. Wow. Ran to co-op or any other supermarket. We're not advertising any specific ones here on this lovely podcast. I get a load of that. Sweets, jelly babies, drinks and everything. Uber comes. We go straight. Baby's delivered in about 45 minutes after arriving to ambulance. So good wow. timing. So good anyway, timing, is that yeah, what you exactly. put it down to? Exactly. But next morning was rather surreal. We started with this out-of-body experience. I had this real in-touchness about, you know, the world, me, life, I don't yeah, live forever. That's called a hangover, Neil. I think that was probably just a hangover, yeah. <laughs> Feeling deep, philosophical, teary. Yeah. Hmm. Was it all the beer or was it becoming a parent for the first time? I can't quite figure it out. Exactly. Um, what's lovely about that story is that obviously... I think people listening to this and people who have um, gotten to know you a little better over the last episodes will be quite 
thrilled to hear that such things can happen to a, to a man in your position in society. Uh, not so much for your partner, but, but you know, they'll be thrilled to know <laughs> for themselves. To, all of us. Um, to, to, to kind of bring it beyond that stage, and you know, luckily, you know, you had a healthy baby boy, but medical issues, some can tragically sad and can be so serious for people, but there are other ones that all parents face, kids. We'll, we'll get certain things, but it's a really difficult time. You're a new parent, and whether your newborn baby's got a cough or a rash, it can just knock you for six. Mm-hmm. What are the kind of common things that we see in, in newborn babies and small children, and, and, and how? what are the ones we should be alarmed about, and what ones need looking at, of course, but, but are going to be okay in the long run? And, you know, mums and dads and guardians and parents listening to this right now, you can just take a bit of a deep breath, you know? Yeah. So I think the first thing to say is that a lot of these things will pass. It seems that it's tough times, but actually those tough times aren't forever and you very quickly see your children grow up and things change. A lot of the things we struggle with is sleep. I'm sure you had issues with the EV sleeping. Mm-hmm. I certainly did with our two children. Mm-hmm. Um, and you read a lot of things. People do all sorts of things. People do sleep training. People do you know play white noise dark in the room, all of those things are useful and helpful, but I think what you have to do is find what works for you and listen to the rhythm of your child. So actually what we did was a little bit of a dark room, keep the temperature relatively cool so the babies are not too hot in the night, um, maybe open a little bit of a window, keep the room dark, play some white noise. But beyond that, kind of listen to the baby. So when the baby's crying and things, it's not a disaster, you shouldn't feel a failure to have to pick that up, pick the baby up feed the baby. And in the first days, you know, it's quite easy. I'm sure there's only two or three things that the baby can have a problem with. They're either sort of um, tired and they're crying and they want to go to sleep. They either want to have their nappy changed because it's wet or dirty, or they're hungry. And so I just basically went with that sort of rule of three and tried any of those in the early stages to see what will work and, and see if the baby will settle. As babies get older, then their sleeping pattern starts to settle. I know babies are sort of in the range of, you know, when they're newborn, they often don't sleep more than two or three hours. When you're sort of four to 12 months old, they'll sleep, you know, 12 to 16 hours sometimes by that stage, including the naps. And toddlers will have, you know, around 11 to 14 hours. And then as they become older, the sleep pattern regularizes this big, long sleep, a bit like us um, in, in the daytime. And they sort of Sit, sit with their sleep patterns along with us. The other thing I suppose I'm sure you've experienced a lot of is coughs and colds, um, small fevers. It's worth, I, I recommend that all you know, parents should have a supply of cowpole and ibuprofen and things in the house and a thermometer. So if your baby does have a, a rash that is not blanching, that's the one where you've seen on TV and things where you, you find that your baby, you know, you put a glass over the rash and it doesn't go away, then you should probably call 111 and get advice straight away. And in terms of fevers, normally if a fever is going on for a protracted period of time or your baby is not feeding or something's different in their behaviour, I don't think any new parent is expected to be an expert. And even if you take your your baby to an accident and emergency or a paediatric specialist, they often can't find out what's wrong with them because we can't communicate with our babies as well as you know, you can come to me and say, my chest hurts, but Uh that's very different. Uh So I think it's always, you know, you shouldn't feel any shame in going to seek medical help, going into your GP drop-in centre the next morning, especially as a new parent, and making sure you have an idea of what's going on and you feel reassured. 
So I asked, you know, raising healthy kids and we've touched on sleep there and making them feel comfortable. It's also good for them to, to know that you're kind of relaxed around them and you're not whisking them off somewhere every every five minutes because some of these things are quite are quite common. What about, I mean, diet, I suppose, for, for newborn babies is... It's Mostly kind of baby milk. food and, baby food and, and, and milk, and, milk and, and that's what yeah. has the, the nutrients and everything they need. Absolutely. When they get slightly older, I spoke to um, Master Chef Supremo Greg Wallace, oh, wow. who became a, um, a, a parent again um, later on in, in, in his life. Um, he, he remarried and they, they had a baby boy and he's head over heels in love with his son. And one of the things he does, and his, his son's about four, is when they go shopping, he lets... He asks his son to pick out uh, an ingredient. So every time they go, it's a little bit of fun. And it's always obviously in the, in the kind of vegetable or fruit aisle. And then he gets to pick something kind of that he's fascinated by, whatever it may be. It could be just celery. But, you know, that, that day he likes celery. And then when they get home, he, he shows him how to prepare it and they kind of cook the meal together. And he said that's a really nice launch pad for healthy eating, a great way of getting them enthusiastic about what they're going to eat. And I thought that was a really nice parenting tip as far as diet goes with, with, with your kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things with bringing up children is that we've, it's so hard for mums and parents. We have busy lives, finances, all of these challenges that we face. You know, you know mum might have to go to work. There's no time to prepare meals. Baby might have to go to nursery, those kind of things. And we have this problem, you know, with a culture of having to have a lot of ready-prepared meals and pre-made meals for, 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 for children. And I think there's probably an, an unhealthy relationship, as you've described, then developed from that with food, in that we're not in touch with true food, not in touch with the preparation of the food. And I think beyond, I would say, you know, offering your kids too much sugar, you can't really harm a child by giving them fresh, healthy and ha homemade foods. But it's not always possible for parents. Parents are really busy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's easier to come home and go, okay, I've got all these kids, fish fingers, beans, toast, whatever is available. But I think making an effort to try your best to make sure, as Pepper says, fruit and vegetables keep us alive. Always remember <laughs> to keep your eat your five. Yeah. And um, also, uh, but also, Pepper, don't fat shame your dad in every episode. That would be a little yeah. tip from me. Yeah. I think I've got that coming. Always next. laughing and pointing at dad in exactly. Peppa Pig, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. Poor dad. But, um, but no, I think, I, I think that's trying to teach kids, you know, something important in that having, making sure that you have some portions of fruit, some portions of vegetables as part of your meal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've seen other chefs and things with initiatives like that, school dinners, for instance, where, you know, school meals are not healthy for children, you know, a lot of the things that they're given because of the, the amount of funding you have to mm. produce a large volume of school meals for kids. And actually, you know, it's not that difficult to pack a packed lunch that contains some fruit and some other things. It's just about, you know, making those lifestyle changes and trying to do that within your budget. Yeah, and there's, I mean, I, I suppose one of the big issues with that, I think some people have taken it too far, is that, that there's just this expectation that every single person in, in the UK is able to suddenly, you know, get an allotment on the roof of the flats that they live in, where Absolutely. it's not. Yeah. But also the middle ground of that is for the same amount of money that you would spend on X, you can go and get a healthier version in Y. Absolutely. But then what you're saying, Neil, of course, is that parents are busy and it's have they got the time to prepare Why? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, near impossible conundrum. And, mm -hmm. and that's just talking about people who are able to afford to do this on a, on a regular basis, on and, a regular basis. And, and time. And I think 
the key is to understand that you know healthy eating is such an important part of your child's growth, of your child's ability to function in school, to do sport, to be thinking, to be learning, and to eat you know fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, fresh meals, and to try your best within your you know capacity and your finance, your budget, your time frame to achieve that for your kid. Uh, well, I think one of one of the first things in that you know famous hangover I had in the first morning that made me re- realize that you know <laughs> life had changed forevermore was also that actually kids don't really need much; they just need love. They just need somebody to love love them. They don't actually need to be in a mansion. They don't need dad to have a Ferrari. They don't need you know the best push pram in the world. They just need love. And I think if you provide love to your kids, that will always you know. Take, take you far and take them far. Well, how lovely. Uh, let's leave the big question there. If you've got anything that you would like to say, then please do feel free to join the conversation. You can email us at doctor at nextdoorpod.com. We would love to hear from you. And so many of you already have. Um, it is time to go through some correspondence. Here we go, Dr. Neil. Jen in Surrey says, Hi, Dave and Neil. Are there any cliques or rivalries in a hospital between different types of nurses, doctors and surgeons? For example, do all the heart doctors all sit at one table together during lunch? Or do the brain surgeons think they're better than all the others? Do they look down their noses? Absolutely, David. There's huge really? amounts of wow. this. Yeah. Jen, you've hit yeah. a nerve. <laughs> yeah, she's hit a nerve. Yeah. I think we touched on it in one of our earlier episodes, the idea of culture changes in medicine and how, you know, perhaps you know, modern times we've become more approachable, more reachable to our patients. We also talked about, you know, my telephone consults and how it's not about, you know, when I'm available, it's when we're all available, that kind of thing. But there are traditional hierarchies. So surgeons, you know, will, will, I'm, I'm not specifically a surgeon, I'm a physician who does operations on patients. But true surgeons who are trained, you know, in, in cutting and open abdominal operations, etc. There was always a clique of, you know, surgeons are better than, you know, the physicians or the medics. Within the medics itself, you have these hierarchies. You know, you have the practical specialties in medicine, things like gastroenterology, where you put tubes in the throat and the bottom passages, or, or cardiology, where one, you know, was potentially seeing yourself as above some of the other specialties in that sense, in that you do these added things on top of just doing the ward round or just prescribing some medicine within that. Sadly, things like, you know, psychiatry, for instance, which is such a rewarding and important specialty, it's really hard to attract people to that. It's not a sexy career in medicine. And you, you see we have a shortage of psychiatry services, we have a shortage of psychiatry um, beds and Why and is that, Neil? That I'm, so, I'm shocked by it. What, why is that? So, so some of that is cliques and some of that is actually the job itself and how... You know, People look at what is. they will have to do yeah. on a day-to-day and they choose not, not to do that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's very hard to recruit people and go, okay, I have a passion for psychiatry and I really want to work in a mental health institute and go through all of the struggles and you know, tribulations of working there, even nursing there, is really hard work, isn't it? Because mm. you're faced with these patients, there's not very much you can do. You're trying your best to help, you do care. But actually, it's very stressful. It takes its toll on you as a worker in those environments. Why not go and work in another environment where it's very clean? You could work in somewhere else where you're you're finishing on time. You don't have those work stresses. So there's all of these manners of things that create these hierarchies of part of, you know, our work. 
But I think in general, those, thing, those days of those traditional sort of surgeons sit here at the upper end of the thing and they're all having breakfast together and the rest of you guys can come after your ward round sort of thing. Mm. Those sort of cultures and structures have certainly changed since I, you know, I was a trainee. When I was a trainee, you would see that sort of thing. Wow. And also culturally, you know, certain types of specialty, for example, orthopedics, you're an expert in orthopedics, you did so well in the quiz. <laughs> um, you know, orthopedics traditionally requires a lot of strength to do. So if you do a hip operation, you do a, a hip replacement, the leg is a really heavy organ. The junior trainee spends, you know, that whole operation holding this leg up so that the surgeon can have the thing at the right angle and, and do the operation. And it's also a lot of hammer and chisel. There's, there's drills, there's hammering, there's chiseling of bone. It's heavy physical work. So it tended to attract the rugby team. And it tended to be, you know, that the, they had a joint team in some ways, you know, the students and the, those guys, you know, they would play rugby together and things. So right. it tended to develop these cliques. When I was doing liver transplant and, and, and uh, kidney transplant surgery, most of the cricket team came from that group. And we even had this thing, you know, pink shirt fri Friday. All the boys wore pink shirts. If you wore a pink shirt, you presented your, your cases and, uh, for the surgeons to, to who, what was on the ward and things. And after that, you got bought breakfast if you wore a pink shirt and you played in the, in the cricket team. That was a long time ago. Those kind of things have certainly changed, but there were cultures like that. Um, and you see that very much in the specialty. Though things have changed, those barriers have changed. The access, for example, to have more women in surgery is so important because, you know, women are also patients and they would, you know, maybe they want to see someone of their own sex doing their operation as well, right? So the access of that kind of thing in terms of getting women into surgery has improved. It's particularly my specialty. We don't have enough women in, in my specialty. And that's part of it's the way the training goes. So things like the training to become a consultant cardiologist is somewhere along the lines of you know, 10 to 15 years, let's say, if you, depending on how you count it. If you're a, a, a woman and you want to have children and a family, how do you do that? And how do you then do that if you're going to go part-time at some point along that line? You know, it's a lot of sacrifices. It's really very difficult. And so that's all part of the challenges we face. I think it's a really good question from Jen. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, Jen was going to go kind of go down a West Side Story angle and this was going to be quite uh, lighthearted and breezy as a correspondence on the podcast. But there's so much to, to unpack there. So there's a, it's a kind of, it sounds like a bit of a boys club, Neil, some of the things you're saying there. Once upon Pink a time. Pink shirt Friday and Once upon rugger time, lads sure. holding up heavy legs and stuff with tools. Yeah. No, I, but I, but, we all, but the, the reason that we get on so well and the reason I enjoyed speaking with you initially and how we ended up doing this podcast is because I was surprised at slightly how behind the curve everything really was and how the younger people like yourself, you want to see change, you're part of that change and you've just got a whole weight of hundreds of years of medical culture. history and culture behind you Absolutely. that's going to need to change. And, yeah. and it's heavy. Yeah, there's all sorts of traditions and cultures and, and so on. Uh, and, and that takes time. I think that takes time to change mm. as a workplace. Our governing bodies also work very hard in terms of achieving that. Mm. But it isn't quick. And medicine as a structure is really based on the military. If you look at the structure and the hierarchy, it's based on, on military structures. In fact... Probably a lot of it started from you know, military hospitals and military doctors. So it takes a long time to change those ancient sort of cliques and cultures. So in conclusion, Jen in Surrey, uh, Neil and I both thank you for your question. And yes, there are little cliques and rivalries, 
but people are working hard to kind of dissolve those so we can they can be a little bit of unity yeah i mean in the canteen yeah i give you examples <laughs> which are probably much from from 20 years ago more than than yeah. what we see now and i'm sure if you go into your local hospital now those kind of things have changed very much but it just goes to show that those things do exist in some places and in some fields particularly the, the difficulty of recruiting you know general practitioners or psychiatrists those kind of things there's really heavy heavy work type specialties with perhaps less reward in in lots of different ways um and and also the fact that you know times are changing and, and you'll see a lot of differences over time now well, once again, thanks for your question, Jen. And of course, you can contact us anytime you like. It is doctoratnextdoor.com. And that's it for this episode of Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my neighbour and co-host, Dr. Neil Srinivasan. Neil, it's always nice to have you around the kitchen table. Next time, I will have another burning question for the doctor and we'll have some more gossip from the street. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you'd like to recommend us to someone, that would be just lovely. And now I mean this in the nicest possible way, but please, please, please get out of my house. <laughs>